Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James, this is Pete. G'day everyone. It is the 25th of August and this is episode 182. And very fun show coming up. A bit of a different one for our interview this week. We are going to be speaking to Victoria Perotti, who you might know as Target Tory. This is a really fun story that came out of uh, New York a few months ago. I think we discussed it on the podcast and I made it my yeah. hero of the week. But she was working at Target, a blue check mark on Twitter, uh, got into a fight with her over the cost of a toothbrush. He thought he should be paying one penny when it was worth $89. He decided to publicly shame her, just took a photo of her with her name and put it on his social media pages. Internet got uproar and... Um, fundraised over $34,000 for her to go on holiday. So we are going to be talking to her about the story, what it was all unfolding. It's a really fun one. And she's also going to be talking to us about her new program, Pause Be Kind, which is aimed at ending shaming culture on Twitter and ending... I'm blanking on the word, cancel culture, ending cancel culture and restoring free speech, restoring like just good vibes on social media, which is what we're all about here at the Young IPA podcast. And we're also going to be talking to one of our very best friends here, Gideon Rosner, who is going to be talking us through the IPA with you, the IPA's exciting new products and podcasts. So Pete, what else are you looking forward to on the show today? Oh, just to go back to speaking to Tori, she's just, you know, like in a in a time of a lot of bad news and a lot of negativity, she's an absolute breath of fresh air. She's very warm and positive and do yourself a favor, tune into that interview and feel a little bit better about the world. The other thing is the listeners wouldn't know this, well, they will now because I'm about to tell them, is that me and James and Saul have just been involved in 27 minutes of technical difficulties and I am now ready to speak my truth to this country. <laughs> so I'm really just very excited about the show now that we've finally got the show on the road. All my no fault, one ever my doubt Peter Gregory's determination and iron will to see <laughs> this podcast made after 27 minutes of him for act- like either typing, I can't hear you blokes, or can you hear folks hear me? <laughs> just that just on tell- repeat for 27 minutes. <laughs> Just don't, if a computer asks, if you want to allow Zoom to access the audio, don't click no, because you'll lose half your life. I I know it's tempting to click no, don't use my audio when you're about to record a podcast. And I can see why (laughs) Pete did it, but uh, unfortunately he made the wrong call. But to bring us back to the uh, reason we do this show, which is to talk about politics. And you brought up that it's a bit of a negative time and there's a lot of anxiety out there. Can't help but think that this was exacerbated by Daniel Andrews this week, (laughs) who wants to destroy democracy for another 12 months. Pete, talk us through it. I don't think it's fair to point the finger at Daniel Andrews. for exacerbating pain in our community, James. Uh, no, just kidding. A state of emergency. We're talking about states of emergency. So a state of emergency at present is going to end on September 13. It's got to be renewed every month uh, and can last up to six months. So that six-month point, as I just said, is September 13. The state government is proposing legislation that would allow them to extend it for a further 12 months. So they have because that the legislation says it can only go for six months, that would require a further 12 months. And what that means is that rather than laws being made in the normal way through the parliament as they have been done for decades and decades, here in Victoria and in Australia, it means that what the Chief Health Officer says would be legally enforceable, which is, of course, the situation at the moment. So Brett and Annalise and Dan sitting around in a room with a whiteboard with our freedoms on it and just rubbing them off one by one, that would continue to be the way this state is governed. So, you know, this week, Red Rooster might be illegal because there's COVID in Ripper subs or something like that. So that is how that is what a state of emergency would continue to mean in Victoria. Yes, uh, the KFC angle, the one that... Oh, sorry, the Red, Red Rooster. Rooster angle, the one that's criminally underreported here. Uh, but yeah, this is so disgusting and we've said this before on the show this is the number one time in Australian history that politicians need to be accountable with some of the decisions that are being made some of the uh, restrictions that are being put on us I mean again in Melbourne we're not allowed to leave our homes after 8pm like really put your head around that and we haven't been allowed to visit anyone for at least two months so we are like Dane Landry's is basically asking us to just trust him for 12 months no parliamentary oversight he can do whatever he wants with a state of emergency uh it's really disgusting and he says in the press conference when he announces it that oh when we're talking about the six month time limit he goes oh well because they didn't think that things would be needed for six months uh when they were drafting it so this is something that obviously does take longer than six months like pete can you answer me a question how long did world war one take and then second question how long did world war two long last 
Also longer than six months. Yeah, I kind of think they would have figured it out that sometimes there are wars that last a bit longer than six months and people would have gone, you know what, still, we kind of need parliamentary oversight. Exactly right. And he had a couple of good quotes, actually, while you're on that. He said, probably not seen as something that was necessary. So he was asked about, you know, when, when they made this legislation 15 years ago, it was probably not seen as something, a global pandemic was probably not seen as something that was necessary to countenance. And it's like, that's literally one of the three or four things that they were specifically talking about when they drafted this. Like, yeah. natural disaster, war, and pandemic. Like, it's, it, a global pandemic was exactly what they had in mind, Mr. Andrews. Uh, so. Yeah, ab- absolutely incredible. And it is been greeted with a whole lot of anger. I think this is the one that really has uh, broken people's trust in the government because the way it was announced made it sound like these curfews are going to be in place for another 12 months. Like, this idea that... Because we've been told... September 13, stage four comes to an end. And they're trying to wind that back. But then when you come out and say, okay, these are like state of emergency for another 12 months, people hear that as curfews and bans on visiting people in their home and compulsory masks for another 12 months. I think that level of anger means I don't, personally don't see this happening. And there have been a lot of backbenchers that are coming out because uh, the Victorian government doesn't control the upper house. There've been a lot of backbenchers in the upper house that have come out and said, we're not going to support it. Shout out to friend of the show, David Limbrick, who said, hell no, within seconds of the announcement. Fiona Patton this morning has also said she's not supporting it. So some hope. Yeah, it's got, as you say, it's got to have four non-Labor supporters in the upper house and most of them have come out and said they're not going to support it. As Gideon Rosner, we, we get into it a bit with him later on in the show, he talks that the uh, Darren Hitch Justice Party uh, is going to support it, and then it's down to like Adam Somurek and um, a Greens uh, representative. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, and as you mentioned, it's not that popular with people uh, because people are sort of like, oh, I don't want lockdown to go for another 12 months, which kind of is the point we've been making the whole way through is that, that you know, the alternative to suppression is having rolling lockdowns until there's a vaccine, which could mm. be years. So I think a few people tweaking to that. Yeah, if ever, exactly, if ever. So a few people tweaking to that uh, is good. I wanted to insert a clause, James, into this. Uh, I wanted to say, look, you can, you, can extend, um, you can extend the emergency powers for 12 months, and we're going to call this the Gregory Clause, if your government's behaviour didn't specifically cause 99% of the problem we're dealing with now. Because if, if you have caused 99% of the problem we're dealing with now, you shouldn't have unlimited power over the dealing of the pandemic going forward, I reckon. What do you uh, think of that? Very controversial and yet very brave. So uh, maybe we should give you a Q&A clap for that. I'm astounded that the, if this passes, the Gregory Principle, that the first time the Gregory Principle is used in Australian legislature, it has absolutely nothing to do with drinking. That's, a, that's <laughs> extraordinary. Anyway, but I've got a few strings to my bow, James. Yeah, but uh, to bring it back to the seriousness of this. Now, Daniel Andrews says the reason he wants to bring this in is because uh, he wants to make sure that these bans on people leaving their home if they have COVID and mandatory face masks and making sure that uh, workplace safety is guaranteed in corporations that can't really guarantee it. He says he needs a state of emergency to guarantee those things, but surely you can do that with specific acts of legislation if necessary for the next 12 months. I don't see why you need to suspend Parliament to do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the powers of emergency, he's using that as a proxy for we need to fight COVID, but you can fight COVID. The argument is you can fight COVID better with a Parliament. That's one of the things about democracy is not just that it's... Um, it sort of has a moral momentum. It also has a practical application in that you get better outcomes because there's more oversight. So when he says, I need emergency powers to fight COVID, he'll actually be able to fight COVID better with a parliament. We'll all be able to fight COVID better with a parliament. So yeah, you're exactly right. He can continue to, we can continue to do stuff. It's just not one person or a couple of people having complete power is the problem we've got with this. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you are going to pass these laws, I'd like them to be debated by as many people that represent Victorians as possible rather than a cabal of a couple of people. Yeah, now, just Brett uh, and Annalise and Dan with the white Yes. Sorry, this only got announced yesterday. There's obviously a whole lot to play out. We don't exactly know where a bunch of the backbenchers are going to vote on this. I mean, by the time that you are listening to this right now, you might know more than we do right now about it. So obviously a lot to play out. We're going to keep an eye on it. And we are going to be talking to Gideon later on in the show about it. But we should move to another topic, Pete. And this is something that really grinds your gears. And that is uh, internal state border closures. 
Exactly right. So internal. So in the rest of the country, we don't want to get too Victoria focused. Uh, in the rest of the country, internal state border closures um, are one of the major issues we've seen. All sorts of problems along the borders. People not able to access uh, healthcare that they need. Farmers, which we'll get into a bit later in the show, um, having all sorts of problems moving equipment and animals and light and uh, what would you call it hay and stuff like that across state borders. But we will get into that later in the show. Uh, and I look. I don't. I feel like I'm. The wrong man for the job here because the your boy James Bolt people, the, your humble podcaster was published this week. I think last night overnight in the UK Telegraph, one of the most prestigious newspapers in the galaxy, specifically on border closure. So I'm going to throw to you, James. What do you think? Uh, not a fan, as you might imagine. It is uh, so it appeared in like the the travel section. So they wanted me to talk about oh. tourism industries and stuff like that. So. Yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe it's going to be up on ipa.org.au. I don't really want to talk about my own article too much. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to jump in. So I'm going to tell you my favorite bit. It's a paragraph James wrote. Very funny. Uh, now, the article's called Australia's Turn to Being a Convict Nation. If you want to check it out, you should check it out. This favorite bit is Australia's beauty is incredible. It has amazed tourists for decades as millions every year came to see land- landmarks such as the Great Barrier Reef, Uluru, and for reasons beyond comprehension, Ramsey Street. Zig! There it is. People across Britain are chuckling into their cornflakes over that one, James. That's very good. Um, yeah, you've got to feed the chalks. But like, uh, yeah, the thing, I mean, this isn't new to no. anyone. The fact that these border closures to Western Australia, I mean, I'm pointing out in there that Northern Territory hasn't had a case for over a week, yeah. but Northern Territorians are banned from entering Western Australia. So because Western Australia wants to keep COVID out, that's the kind of stuff that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And you think about the amount of tourism dollars being lost, the amount of trade dollars being lost, and just the simple idea that civil liberties include you should be able to travel freely in your own country. Uh, that's a kind of really weird stuff. You also talk about, I mean, we talked about on the show last week, the international border closures, over three quarters of people being rejected from being able to travel overseas, which is disgraceful. But yeah, the stuff that's coming out this week are more of the the ludicrous and the heartbreaking stories. Now, yeah, we are going to be talking the funny one, which is the sheep on a plane. We'll talk about that later in the show. Don't for a second think we missed the sheep on the plane. Not but, for one second. Uh, there's other stuff like a young mother from northern New South Wales wasn't allowed to go visit her baby in hospital in Queensland where it was receiving emergency treatment because she didn't pass 14 days of quarantine. Like, that's the kind of stuff where you just read it and go, how is that even allowed? Hmm. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, people go, oh, well, what do, you guys, what do you guys think we should do? Just nothing, just let the virus go. It's like, no, of course, there should be some measures to maintain people's safety, but this has been going on for five or six months. There's all these things that they're doing, you know, at the drop of a hat, they're changing the rules, and it's like there's no understanding of the idea that that's going to have massive ramifications for people, and all these situations keep getting thrown up that they haven't thought about. And they have no idea what to say to it. And that's how we get these ludicrous situations. And, you know, you talk about in your article, Shane Warne's about to leave. Oh, Shane Warne was allowed to leave uh, to go and commentate cricket. Uh, there was an incident where the, the coach of the Broncos, whose name escapes me, was given the ability to move between states when other, people's weren't, other people weren't. So there's different rules for different people. Uh, and also, yeah, it's just this idea that we've been going on for months and they don't I saw one person got allowed to go to Europe to buy a yacht. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. There you go, like stuff like that. So it doesn't apply that yacht. equally. You've got to get that yacht. We've got to get the yacht industry going. And uh, yeah, just this idea that they're making these rules and then they're like, oh, there's all these ramifications to it. So I just feel like the implementation is a huge issue as well. All right, uh, moving back to Victoria. This is an extraordinary story we do want to talk about, which is, I mean, this comes on the heels of stage four and state of emergency. Now, when stage four was brought in, one of the key moral arguments for bringing it in was the idea that people who were sick with the virus were not following the rules and were out about in the community spreading the virus where they went. We were told that one in four people, when they were checked on, weren't home. That was what we were told. We were told one in four people were not checked on, uh, sorry, were not home when they were checked on. People who should have been self-isolating. People that should have been self-isolating. Now, it's come out that that figure is actually less than 1%. The 25% refers to people that just didn't answer the door because maybe they were asleep, maybe they were in their shed. I mean, you were allowed to go on one hour of exercise when you were sick with the virus in Victoria for a while, so maybe they were doing that as well. Talk about ridiculous ideas. But this is a kind of thing that severs people's trust in a government. When you use 25% as a moral argument for putting us in stage four and the figure is less than one. 
This has been part of the ongoing gaslighting of the Victorian people that it's all our fault. They just get up every day and say people aren't following the rules. That's why they're in this situation, which is, of course, 100% not true. Or should I say 99% not true. Uh, the reason in this situation is because of the government failed to implement lockdown. And as you say, this was put forward by the government as 25% of people aren't following the rules. Uh, and then it turns out that uh, only one of them, 1% of them were not following the rules. Now, what I love about this, this is, these are the people that want the keys to our democracy, by the way. Uh, they say no, no, they don't want the keys. They want the keys chucked down a well. Like, <laughs> no one can have the democracy. So Deputy Commissioner Rick Nugent says some of them were in the shower when we knocked on the door. Some were in the shed in the back. Uh, so they're not, not all necessarily out of their home. Um, and the main, one of the big, sorry, two common reasons were um, they left their home for a permissive reason or their address details were incorrect. So somewhere in the vicinity of 10, 12, 15% of these people that have this deadly virus that is going to kill everyone, the government can't put together a spreadsheet with their addresses in it. But hey, yeah. it's all right. We, you don't need parliament. We don't need a parliamentary oversight of this. Yeah. I mean, an address, a, a website of addresses, how could we possibly keep control of that? So uh, The yeah, only answer to our spreadsheet point. crisis is 12 months of state of emergency powers. How else could we do it? How else could we put it together? Yeah. Uh, and so that is another thing I think which has piqued people's interest, James, sorry to interrupt there, is that, so we're talking about things that uh, may be starting to change the way people think about this in Victoria. My brother has no political opinions at all. He had a real collector's item of a political opinion on the lads chat the other day when he said, um, when he said, I feel like they're using this stat to blame people rather than own up to their own uh, actions. So big controversial opinion from my brother. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. People who have been not engaged up till now and maybe starting to think, well, this is a problem. On you, Patrick. You're coming around. All right. Uh, another story I want to talk about, which is federal parliament was back this week. So mm. apparently it could be done. Yeah, who would yeah. have thought it could be done? We had Larissa Waters make a speech from isolation or just like uh, made a speech via video link. It could be done. How about that? Well, after my battles with Zoom just then, I sort of think maybe we, sh- we needed to shut down federal parliament for six months. But no, exactly right. I liked the thing about this was that they were not allowed to um, put up slogans and and um, and pictures and posters and stuff like that behind them when they were when they were doing it from their parliamentary from their electoral offices. So, so that's the anti bobcatter rule. That's the- <laughs> we're talking about Clive Palmer getting legislated against in WA. Now Australian Parliament wants a few words with Bob Catter because you know he had some electric designs going. Yeah, now, there you go. See, I thought that was a fair enough rule, but we have missed out on some of the most fantastic content from Bob Catter. Of course, a lot of politicians had to take down their photos of Karl Marx um, and just leave the, the normal bookcase up. So, yeah, but no, you're 100% right. They're doing it overseas. They sat through the Spanish flu. We got Zoom. We need oversight. This should have happened ages ago, but at least it's happening now. Yeah, the idea that politicians can just escape uh, democracy because it's too hard in a pandemic. It's like, well, no, we need you now because it's hard. So, I don't know. I'm sounding like a broken record. It really uh, annoys me to use a family-friendly phrase, but uh, it's just one of the more shameful parts of the entire response, the fact that... um, it was shut down. All right, we are jumping from Victoria to National, Victoria to National, but we are back in Victoria this time, Pete, and we want to talk about... Um, well, I mean, it is National because it's kind of just like what identity politics is doing to the brains of people in charge. Yeah, this one's... My, this one's killed my vibe, actually. <laughs> I was sort of up and about until this one, but Luke Ashford was on the telly during the week. He was seconded from Parks, Victoria, to join the Department of Health and Human Services to assist with hotel quarantine. He stopped doing it after four weeks because he didn't feel safe. He said he got no experience or training on how to properly use PPE, but they did make sure he completed an hour of equity, diversity, uh, training. We've saw, we saw, of course, accusations that the security firm used in hotel quarantine was chosen for so-called, uh, what is it, diversity and inclusion um, requirements. Now, I don't like to use diversity and inclusion requirements. I like to use the word racial quotas because that's what it is. Um, so for racial quota reasons, uh, we saw that the Department of Justice Community Safety is still managing, managing to hire a director of inclusion and intersectionality at the height of this pandemic. Oh, that's no, the one. I was Googling it. <laughs> I just wanted to bring that in. Yeah, yeah. So that happened. Annalise Van Diemen, uh, the Deputy Chief Health Officer, likes to tweet about how Australia is COVID uh, during the pandemic. And of course, Brett Sutton in March this year, so he's the Chief Health Officer, in March this year, as the pandemic was starting to spread, 
uh, around the world and around Australia uh, had a journal article around climate change. Now, obviously, those things do get put together a few months in advance in Brett's defence, but you can see what the what the focus was. And, of course, I forgot to mention Dan Andrews likes to shine the Chinese flag on Victorian landmarks. So this diversity thing, James, I think it's a bit of a pattern. It's a bit of a pattern that's emerging. And, uh, you know, as a result, this is what we've got. Six million people in lockdown. It's just, I, I like... I, I genuinely can't wrap my head around the fact that in the training module, someone thought that the diversity training should go in there and then looked through the document before in a proofreading sense, didn't notice that there was no infection training and press send. Like how yeah. warped are your priorities? I just, I just guess they're better set up. Like they're just ready to fire that stuff out um, whenever. But uh, look, the thing... One of the things we talk about, you know, like we always go on about racial quotas. That's it. I'm never calling it diversity again. I'm just calling it racial quotas. One of the things we talk about racial quotas on the Young IPA podcast is the thing you should say to people is, okay, so say you have a loved one on the operating table. Would you want the best person for the job no matter what their race or gender is or whatever? Or would you want someone who's there because of a racial or gender quota? And people, of course, always say no. Well, you know, the, the, the accusation, if that's true about this security firm being chosen because of racial quotas uh, and, and, the, and the lack of performance from the security was a problem, then this is the best example ever because there's been heaps of people that have died because of this outbreak and there's been heaps of people whose lives have been affected. So, yeah, never stop making that point is what I'd say. Yeah, I like that idea. All right, um, let us move to heroes and villains. Heroes being, of course, the Grunt the Pig Freedom Snort for people that have stood up for freedom around the world. Grunt the Pig being the uh, pig that was fined for being a pig in Wangaratta. That's our version of a freedom fighter. Pete, who is your hero of the week this week? I worry about Grunt the Pig. I wonder what how he's doing in He's lockdown. fine. <laughs> he is just fine. He's a bit angry about state of emergency. Doesn't like the idea of government overreach on his civil liberties, but I'm sure yeah. he's doing okay. Well... Okay, James, I'll give you my hero, seeing as you are so nicely. Now, Carl Hennigan is the Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford University. Now, I could not think of a title for a person who benefits this idea that we've got to follow the experts, we've got to follow the science, we've got to follow the medicine. This bloke, Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine, evidence-based at Oxford University, very famous university, James. You might have heard of it. Now, he had a few quotes about the UK during the week. I am concerned people have become overly frightened and throughout this pandemic, the fear instilled in people has been a real problem. Many people misunderstand and over overestimate their risk of COVID. We need to reorientate our thinking on how to live alongside it. Right now, we are seeing below average excess deaths for all causes for the eighth week in a row. The current data shows it is currently so safer to go out than it has ever been. Now, James, if we're meant to listen to the experts, Carl Hennigan, Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford University, is the, the, the most amazing expert you can think of. The second most amazing expert you can think of is the Vice-Chancellor of the most communist university at Australia's most communist city. Of course, that is the University of Melbourne Vice-Chancellor, Professor Duncan Maskell, who is also, James, an expert in infectious diseases. It just so happens to, to be the case. He says, at what point do the measures that we take to suppress the infectious disease rate actually start to do more damage than the disease itself? He said that this week. I'm very concerned, actually, that if we carry on in this kind of lockdown mindset for too long, we will seriously damage young people's lives. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to Bolter. Listen to the experts. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad the academic from the University of Melbourne stood up for uh, relaxing some restrictions, which is certainly in no way motivated by the lack of overseas <laughs> students that are coming in. I, I doubt that highly, but well, I don't know. That's a bit biting. <laughs> like, that's a bit, that's a bit mean-spirited of people who have uh, come to the right side of things, but I just can't shake that idea. But anyway, it's a good Could be thing. part of it. Could be part of it. Anyway, uh, so my hero this week, Don Perrottet, New South Wales treasurer. He has been fighting the good fight in the cabinet and leaking. Oh, well, not leaking, but like putting some stuff in the media <laughs> about the what the restrictions are doing. And it's good to have someone so high up talking about the, the just the terrible nature of these restrictions and what they're doing to the country. Uh, this week, the latest one was uh, him releasing evidence showing that Victoria's six-week stage four lockdown risks reducing the national GST pool by $300 million. And, I mean, the idea of New South Wales locking down is always going to be there because, you know, their cases can go up and down. 
and it's good to know that there's someone so high up in New South Wales that is going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that we uh, New South Wales does certainly not lock down as harsh as Victoria because I wouldn't wish what we've been going through the last couple of weeks on anyone at all. So good to know that he's doing that. Shall we talk villains? Uh, we should talk villains. Yeah, you're exactly right. The New South Wales state government has been vastly superior to the Victorian one. All right, villains. So now, what do we do for villains? Oh, yeah, the fake, the Extinction Rebellion fake nudie run. As Extinction Rebellion protests enter their sixth day. Which was a, seems like a lifetime ago now, but Extinction Rebellion had a nudie run through Melbourne to save the planet. However, they weren't nude. It was a fake nudie run. So we award anyone who has been a villain this week uh, in... Against freedom, we say they are Extinction Rebellion fake nudity run recipient. James, who have you got? Uh, okay, so in Victoria, obviously lockdown uh, fatigue is starting to take over and the government has cottoned onto that. And instead of going the fire and brimstone approach, they go on the milk and honey approach. They've been wheeling out celebrities to make jokey, joke, joke, joke ads about <laughs> the lockdown, which is apparently the idea that uh, once we can laugh at it, we'll like it. So... The ads aren't great. Uh, I don't know why anyone thought they would be good, but the first cab off the ranks was Magda Zabanski as Sharon from Kath and Kim talking to us uh, from a netball stadium, an indoor netball stadium, mind you, which under stage four is banned. So I don't know when mm. Magda Zabanski will be fined the $1,652 for breaking coronavirus restrictions, but I would like to see it happen soon. Uh, but anyway, let's play a bit of the ad just to give you a bit of a taste of what's going on. i tell you what, I am so over this lockdown. Playing netball against yourself is not all it's cracked up to be, especially when you still can't even win. But you know what? It's not the lockdown that's the enemy, it's the virus. So it's obviously very cringeworthy and it's not funny. And can we just break down the fact that uh, the Victorian government is still clinging on to a side character in a sitcom that hasn't been on for 20 years? It's like, well, this is Australia's cultural zenith. I, <laughs> I was going to say that you know, I wasn't too upset about Magnus Zabanski. I was like, you know, I mean, I share all your views about... I don't she should be fine. What's that, sorry? She, oh, she should, should be, be fine. fine. Yeah. She should be fine. That's absolutely 100% correct. The thing that... Uh, so, and Kath and Kim, for me, you know, I felt like that was a, a great show and I think a lot of people like it. But what got me, James, was why... Waleed Ali was in these ads as well. Are you across that? Yeah. So why, why would it be Waleed... Like, I get... So they chose... Uh, is that Kath or, Oh no it's not Kath or Kim They chose Magnus Exactly Zabanski. it's neither of them <laughs> She's a famous ca- <laughs> character Well they know he's an academic That A Either no one's heard of Or B Most people dislike Because he hates Australia Like why would you choose Waleed Ali Yeah anyway. also I don't think Waleed Ali's Sphere of influence Includes people that are Sick of coronavirus restrictions I think they're the most Ardent supporters So I don't exactly know Who Waleed Ali is Winning over to the cause Now we can laugh at this All we want And I will But David Limbrick uh, Third shout out of the show For this this man And he deserves what it a But he pointed out He pointed out Like don't be fooled here This is his tweet Don't be fooled by the comedic delivery So um, David Comedic really But uh, going back in, the message here is vicious authoritarianism. One, your life without freedom sucks. Two, your obedience might get you some freedom back if we say so. Three, if we decide not to, it's your fault. Which is true. That is what the ad is telling you. And that is creepy as hell. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And I and I agree with your earlier point about, uh, I don't want to take this in good spirit. You know, like everyone's on social media, or not everyone, but lots of people on social media with photos of their masks and, you know, at the start, especially doing these activities to keep fit. It's like, nah, I don't want to do that. I just want to be whingy. I just want to whinge and be bitter, you know? Yeah. I don't want to... I don't want to Approach every day with the confidence of someone taking a photo in their mask saying, mask up, everyone. <laughs> Stay safe. Oh, yeah, exactly. Goodness. All right, who's your villain? James, at the moment, in the middle of a recession, in the middle of global pandemic, in the middle of, you know, growing fractures between the superpowers, what we need is more Meghan Markle and more Prince Harry. So I've got good news for everyone out there. They're working on a new TV show that takes a political stance on feminism and racial inequality. An insider told the paper that the aim of the show will be to empower women and tackle the issue of racial inequality. Sorry, guys. I have to stop recording. I'm going to go program my TV because I do not want to miss Meghan Markle talking about sexism and racism. I don't want to miss probably the most privileged person in the world telling me to check my privilege. So sorry, guys. I'm out. Can you believe? Ari, you just said take the take, have the confidence of someone uh, telling everyone to wear their mask. Mate, have the confidence of Meghan Markle, who has married into like the most privileged thing in the whole world, going, you know, you mine worker who've lost your job, you're privileged. 
Uh, anyway, so it's been p- pitched to the NBC and other television statues, uh, uh, stations. So look out for that. It's shaping up to be the most horrendous television program in history. Uh, now, there's another one. The Duchess of uh, Sussex has been accused of breaching royal protocol after she urged women in the US to vote in the upcoming presidential election in a, to bring about change. She said, I know it. I think all of you certainly know if you're here on this fun event with us, then you're just as mobilised and energised to see the change we all need and deserve. The event featured other senior Democrat women. Uh, and she said she shamed people who didn't want to vote because at this juncture, if we aren't part of the solution, we are part of the problem. So pretty uh, obviously uh, telling people to get out there and vote against Trump. Obviously, she's entitled for her view. Uh, but people said, you know, because she's still got the title, she shouldn't be allowed to do that. Um, I thought they were out. I didn't realise they still had the title. What's the latest? Do you know the latest? Pete, this might surprise you, but I don't have too many opinions on the uh, Meghan Markle uh, Megxit debacle. So, so <laughs> as Meghan a Republican Markle, and a skeptic of celebrity in general, this hasn't really <laughs> captured my imagination. So for me, yeah, you know, Meghan Markle hasn't done anything particularly horrific this week. She's just been a bit crap. Yeah. Know? I like crap. the idea that the show has a political stance on feminism. I'm so sick of those apolitical stances on feminism in TV. <laughs> it's about time they started talking about it. Bring some politics <laughs> into feminism for once in your damn lives. Imagine these two just wealthy imbeciles just you know smiling down the screen. Check your privilege. Yeah. Anyway, don't All miss right, it. Let's, t- let's talk to Targatori and to Gideon Bosner. Okay, we're here with uh, Targatori, who I'm so excited to talk to. She's got an incredible story, and we're also going to discuss uh, Pause Be Kind movement. Uh, Targatori, welcome to the show. Thank you for so much for having me. I really appreciate it, you guys. Awesome. Uh, so before we get into the movement, which I really want to talk about, can you tell us the story of how a customer complaining about a toothbrush led to a 34000 fundraiser to send you on a holiday? Yeah, I mean, this stuff is crazy. You can't make it up. Um <laughs> So as a manager, I worked at Target um, and I got a call from people that were working up front saying, hey, we need a manager up front. Can you come help us out? So I walked up there and saw that there was a guy up there um, who wanted a toothbrush. And he said that because there was a display sticker next to the display toothbrush for a penny, that he should get that toothbrush for a penny. However, it was an $89.99 toothbrush. Um, so, you know, I kind of stuck to my guns and we, we deal with this all the time where people are saying that they want something for a different price. That's just so far off. Um, and I told him I wasn't going to do it. And he got very upset by that. And he took a photo of my face and put it on social media. And unbeknownst to me, he was, you know, someone that had a lot of followers on Twitter. So it was really interesting to then be put into his follower world. Um, but also then he called the police on me as well. Um, so it was just a really unique and odd, odd interaction. So Tori, the, the gentleman in question is David Levitt, a journalist uh, who describes himself as an award-winning multimedia journalist whose work has appeared in CBS, AXS and Yahoo. Um, so that, that that's the individual involved in this. When did you know? So you would have been at work, probably a pretty, uh, ordin- you know, a bad shift, not, not a great day. When did you realize you were going viral? Yeah, so Describe that it was moment. probably a few hours after that. It wasn't really long after that. I'd gotten a couple of text messages from people saying, hey, check your Twitter. Um, obviously, some people in the store knew about the interaction because it was just so odd and it was so extreme. Um, so, you know, we were all kind of knowing about it. So it just ended up coming up on someone's Twitter feed and they told me, go look at your Twitter. And sure enough, there I was. And I think I ended up trending number five when I was at the <laughs> highest point, which is just unbelievable for, for me, just a manager at Target. It was so cool because I remember being on Twitter that day and just seeing all the people going, how dare you uh, publicly shame someone just for doing their job over a toothbrush. And so this leads to a Kickstarter movement to send you on a holiday just for like a way of just making it up to you to have to go through that absolute jerk and $34,000 was raised. So uh, I was one of the guys that contributed to this. So I just want to know from my personal investment standpoint, from my personal investment standpoint, it was a fun trip, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was incredible. I've always wanted to go to Hawaii and I never thought I'd really have the opportunity um, and it was a long flight, but it was so worth it. It was beautiful. So thank you for paying for one of my drinks. I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. That's where I wanted the money to go. I was thinking yeah, yeah, beach side cocktail. Good. 
specifically that. So, so, so back to David Levin, right? Did you ever, did you, did you ever reach out to you and say, yeah, I probably got that wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, did he apologize for what he did or, or have you never heard from him again? A lot of people have asked me, has he, has he apologized? Has he said sorry? And no, he hasn't. However, honestly, if he said sorry, I would just be like, thanks. Not, not thank you for your apology, but thanks for doing what you did because it gave me all of this and all these opportunities. So um, to say I need an apology would definitely be wrong. So Twitter is often such a source of hatred and nastiness and people being mean to each other. So how does it feel to be one of the times it's actually awesome? I feel really privileged because I look through my newsfeed um, and honestly, it's hard not to get depressed and to get down when you're searching through your newsfeed and looking what's trending. Um, so I know it's all that much more important that I keep the positivity going and I'm that source of positivity, unbiased, um, just a place where everybody can come for, for a good, good tweet. <laughs> Nice one. All right. Now, recently you looked to return the favor for Kroger Andy. Do you want to tell us that story about Kroger Andy? Yeah, absolutely. So I was on Twitter and I have awesome, you know, Twitter fans who will, you know, tag me in something if they feel like an injustice is being done. Um, So it was really cool to have them tag me in this situation. I had you know, I saw this tweet um, and obviously it was a very similar situation to mine. So I could really empathize. Um, It was a manager who was being publicly shamed by a customer who was upset by the way that he handled the policy. And um, it was very obvious that it was genuine. And that's something that I worry about too, is having these interactions just, you know, for people to get riled up. I don't want it to be um, an ingenuine situation where people are looking for this sort of thing to happen and for the attention. Um, But I could tell that Andy wasn't looking for the attention. um, And, you know, I felt compelled to say something about it. And then I ended up making a GoFundMe for him. And we're up to like $24,000 somewhere in there. So it was really cool to be able to pay it forward and give that back and that experience, because I don't think that there's any way that you can really explain the feeling of having so many people gather around you in support as opposed to just, you know, shaming you like so many people get. Yeah, these stories are so great because it's such a divided time in the world right now and social media shaming is a weapon that all sides of politics are using just to get their way. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is where I want to talk about the Pause Be Kind movement, which you've set up. So do you want to tell our listeners what that movement's all about? Yeah, so Pause Be Kind is all about, you know, those little moments of, of kindness and inspiring people to be more kind. And with pause, be kind. I always thought that there's something missing in our interactions and and what is it exactly? What is that moment where we suddenly just go straight to anger? What are we missing? And it's, we're really missing the pause because when you think about it, we, you know, are so quick to anger and so quick to become defensive. And so we forget to just take a second, let yourself digest the information that you have put yourself in that other person's shoes, pause, and just choose to be kind and choose to be better, um, have kinder reactions. So that's that's what I'm working on is spreading that out there and also helping other people that are going through similar canceled situations that I'm going through. That's amazing. So, because what I'm interested in here, right, you were just going along, living your life, working at Target, a normal kind of job, and then all of a sudden you're, you're in the head of this kind of uh, even movement, if you want to call it. Were you thinking about this stuff before while you were working at Target and like thinking, what can I do about this? Or was it really like once it happened to you, you were like, okay, I'm going to do this. How, how did it come Like, how did that come about, I guess? Yeah. So I think it's hard working in a service industry and not think to yourself, why are people so mean? <laughs> why do you have to be so aggressive and so angry all the time? Um, so I think working in the service industry definitely spurred on my interest in doing something about this. How can I be kind? And in my interactions, I learned so much of how to handle people, um, because, you know, they'd be angry and frustrated and I figured out how people need to be spoken to and how you can reframe a conversation by telling them, Hey, we're on the same team. I want you to be able to walk out of the store happy today. And I can do that. I just need you to calm down and explain the situation to me so I can make this a win-win situation. Um, so I think that, you know, learning to talk to people that are frustrated also was a way that I found that this could maybe be my niche. What well, I think like phones even make it worse. I mean, 
there are people who... Uh, so when you're interacting with someone face to face and if you say something mean to them, you see their face scrunch up and they get sad. And if you're a normal human being, that will make you feel sad for causing that. I mean, some people, as you know more than most, uh, that water off a duck's back to them. They don't care. But they want it. They want you they to look want sad. It. Yeah, exactly. But I think phones do something different in that no matter how mean you get to someone, all you're doing is just seeing a screen. And if you do like the mean thing in the right way, the screen goes, hey, look at all these people that agree with you. And it just sort of encourages you to be even meaner than you would if you were person to person. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you have these keyboard warriors, as people call them, who, you know, feel safety behind their their screen and their keyboard because you can't really see the person that you're affecting. And it's so important to remember that that's, there's a human behind that. There's, you know, and we are both humans and there's no reason to be so nasty and so mean. Um, and I think that, you know, that's why cyberbullying is such an issue. Really is. All right, let's get into cancel culture. You mentioned it briefly just before. A lot of one of the arguments about against cancel culture is the idea that it's just famous celebrities who are getting blowback for their opinions, and uh, therefore it doesn't really exist because all these major celebrities still have their jobs. Now you're living proof, obviously, that people who aren't celebrities become the victim of cancel culture. Uh, what's What's your view of cancel culture? Do you think it's, it's a problem? Obviously, you probably do. Uh, what, what do you think about all that? So I think cancel culture is just one of the most toxic things that we can have in our society because no one has ever grown and people have never involved, evolved and become better from just having one opinion and not listening to anybody else. Um, without, you know, healthy discourse and being able to have conversations with two different opinions and coming to a, a conclusion whether it's okay to disagree and ag agree to disagree, um, you know, I think we need more of that. We need to be more comfortable with those sorts of conversations. And people become so defensive that it's not their point of view. They instantly just just want you to understand what their point of view is whether you agree with them or not they want you to force you to agree and we have to understand that it's okay we all come from different backgrounds we have different experiences and that's what forms our opinions on things and ultimately we all want what's best for the world so we think our opinion is best and that other person thinks that their opinion is best so we know that together we just want what's best for the world and we have to understand that we're not always going to agree yeah, uh, but to play devil's advocate for these people, uh, being mean to people is sometimes easier than articulating your own views. So do you have a view about that? So I think um, one of the best ways to have a, a healthy conversation or healthy discourse, um, I read a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Um, and it was really cool how he explained, for, first you want to seek to understand the person before being understood yourself because we're so quick to want that person to understand what we're saying and then believe in what we believe. But if you understand what that other person is saying first, you might be able to then explain your situation better to them and have a healthier conversation. And then they'll also understand you because you've understood their point. So, you know, seeking to understand that other person is the most important thing and what they need from you to have a good interaction. Tori, do you have any advice for people that might be spending a lot of time on highly politicized social media websites like Twitter? Yeah, uh, take a break. <laughs> I think, I think um, you know, social media can be really difficult and really toxic. And I didn't necessarily ask for this platform, but I'm really glad that I have it. And I have this opportunity to, to put some positivity out there on it. And I think you know, you can only do so much on social media before you become overloaded and inundated and we need to live in our lives as well. And I think that's important is having a healthy balance. And that's something that I've had to really learn with this whole experience because I wasn't a huge social media person before, um, but by default, I've had to kind of become one. So stepping away is really, really important. Uh, now, Tori, Pete and I are a very good team. We're very good friends and we love doing this podcast together, but sometimes there are differences of opinion and when those differences arise, it's very hard for me to suppress my urge to get my army of Twitter followers to destroy Peter Gregory as a human being. So I'm just trying to think of like um, other ways I can go about uh, distancing, uh, sorry, uh, coming to terms with our disagreements. Is physical conflict the answer? Right. 
Um, yeah, and sometimes, you know, sending your followers after someone is almost worse than physical conflict because that's that's definitely an emotional thing you got going on there. So um, what I would recommend um, is first, you know, definitely keep your arguments off of social media. It's probably not the healthiest thing, you know, keep it between the two of you. Um, maybe try to sit down in a room, hold hands while you're having the conversation. I've heard that works really well um, because it really keeps you guys, you know, join together so you can come to a better understanding. Um, honestly, I don't know. You guys have to work it out. You just got to uh, sit in a room, work it out, come to a conclusion. Don't say anything mean to each other. It's not necessary. Seek first to understand the other person before being understood yourself. How about that? Very yeah. good advice. All right, Pete, that's, once that's restrictions great. are over, I'm coming over and I'm holding your hand for a while. All right, uh, Tiger Tori, thank you so much for your time. Everyone get involved with the Be Kind, Pause Be Kind movement. I think it's so important in, in just like a really toxic time to be on Twitter the last couple of months. So uh, it's a really great movement and it's a really great story. Tori, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Okay, we're now welcome back onto the show. One of the very best friends of the Young IPA podcast here to talk about his own podcast, which just launched Last week, Gideon Rosner, welcome back to the show. Always great to be on the Young IPA podcast, fellas. How are you going? Very well. So let's talk about the IPA with you. So what can people expect from this podcast? So this all grew out of the extraordinary reaction that the IPA has been getting for our stuff on the lockdowns. I think it's a time when people are really concerned about our freedoms. It's a time when people are really concerned about jobs. Uh, people are really concerned about the future of Australia and in particular Victoria. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we put out a video on the stage four lockdowns and how terrible they were in terms of our freedoms and our livelihoods. Uh, so really, this is a continuation of that. This is everything the name suggests, the IPA with you. Uh, it's news and views and analysis that you might not hear anywhere else. Uh, and also hearing from the audience uh, and from our viewers in terms of what they're thinking about the lockdown, what they're going through. And we've been able to share so far some really, really, you know, really harrowing and awful, awful stories. And the purpose of that isn't to, I guess, indulge in it or dwell on it, but to make people aware of the fact that people are suffering, ordinary people. In fact, the most vulnerable people in the country are suffering the most at the hands of these lockdowns and border restrictions in particular, and proving, as we've said all along, that we are not in this together. There are people who are suffering more than others, and we need to, uh, we need to do something about it. Is that what you highlighted? Uh, sorry, is that what uh, attracted you to this interview, to this uh, podcast, Gideon? The fact that some people are suffering more than others, or, or if not, what was it? Um, well, that's been one of my—I don't want to say bugbears because that I think trivialises it. That's been what's bothered me, I think, the most about Victoria under lockdown since day one, and Australia under lockdown. You typically have people who are dreaming up these regulations, who have government jobs or jobs in academia or jobs in big public health, who are on six-figure salaries, who have not taken a pay cut, who have not lost their jobs, who are safe and secure. And frankly, a lot of sort of people like myself, if I'm being frank, who can who still have jobs uh, and are lucky enough to be able to continue as normal via Zoom. Uh, they've been barracking for and even planning these lockdown restrictions and the burdens on that have fallen on small business owners who've had to close, uh, and on uh, often the disabled or the elderly who can't leave their house which and go on the few outings that they've used to be, that they've been able to go on so far. It's fallen on people who are single or not living with family. It's been on people who are have mental health issues and have are suffering desperately from not being able to leave the house and not being able to have any human human interaction. Um, there, there are two Australias here, and there are certainly two Victorias here at the moment. And you know, again, I make the point: this is the IPA with you. This is with everybody who is doing, uh, who is who is struggling with these lockdowns, these border closures, uh, and who wants somebody be, to be standing up for them. And that's uh, that's all we can really do from our end is to keep putting out our research, showing how much, uh, showing the devastating effects these lockdowns are having and telling the stories of mainstream Australians who uh, who have no voice of their own. Yeah, certainly what I'm loving about the project most of all is the fact that it's actually giving voice to a whole lot of people out there that the mainstream media don't really want to talk to and that is people who really are battling from these restrictions. I was just wondering mm. if you could share with us any of the stories that have really touched you. Oh, well, uh, over the past few days, we've had a, a quadriplegic person who now can't go the anniversary of her husband's death is coming up and she can't go and scatter um roses of rose petals on 
the part of uh, the Mornington Peninsula where his ashes were scattered um, and now can't go out for his 60th birthday uh, and really only has carers coming in the morning to get her out of bed and to put her into bed in the PM and is really struggling. Uh, we've heard from people who can't enter the country because of Scott Morrison's frankly insane closure of the borders to people going out and and cap on international arrivals for people coming in. Some And this person was saying that her partner has missed the first few moments of her daughter's life and the, the daughter thinks that her father is the mobile telephone that they speak through uh, to do FaceTime. So that's really difficult. You know, I, I had, I, I knew these lockdowns were bad, Pete and James, but I didn't know how bad until I actually started hearing from people and people started emailing. And if you have a story, I, I have to add, please do email getintouch at iipa.org.au because we need to hear from you. Uh, we're getting a lot of emails. Um, I read every single one of them. I'm trying to respond to as many as I can, but we need to hear your stories and other people need to hear your stories. Of course, Gideon. And uh, of course, the attention right now is on Victoria, but there are people suffering all around the nation. We've heard some crazy stories about people with regards to border closures mm. uh, around Australia. Have you heard from people outside Victoria? And if you have, what kind of stuff have you been hearing from them? Yeah, well, on um, Friday's episode of the IPA with you, we talked about border closures and I talked about uh, a report in the ABC, to their credit, about a, a town on the South Australian border called Pinaroo. Now, even though it's not located in Victoria, five of its seven staff live in Victoria. So because of Stephen Marshall's hard border closures, this clinic has had to close because its staff cannot physically attend the clinic. This means that the people in Pinaroo have no GP, no skin cancer screenings, no diabetes treatment, no mental health treatment. Uh, all because of the, the the border closures. And I have to add that at the same time, Stephen Marshall is allowing for overseas students to come in and do their two weeks of quarantine and then go back to studying because they have cash and the South Australian economy needs them. But ordinary people stuck on the wrong side of the border ha have no way of getting in. It, it's desperately unfair. Um, it, it's hurting a lot of people and it needs to stop. Yeah, on that Friday episode, there was a really powerful moment for me, which is when you held up your passport and you said, mm. this is supposed to give me uh, access to whichever country I so please. Like, it's a little thing from the government that says this person can travel here. And now we have a case where I, it's like three quarters of applications to travel overseas are being rejected. Mm. Uh, good to know that Shane Warne can still commentate cricket, but uh, people can't go and see their... Only Daughter's Wedding was the story yeah. in the Sydney Morning Herald. Now, I just want to ask you, like, Morgan Begg put together this research that shows that this puts Australia on par with countries such as the Ivory Coast mm. and Belarus as only countries that have restricted international movement. Like, even New Zealand, who did the most draconian lockdown at the very outset, even they only go so far as to say you might want to reconsider travelling. They don't ban anyone from doing it. Correct. So what, what, does, what do you make of all this, like these restrictions on tra travel? Well, you're right, and, and that's point number one. Number one is if you look at the Anglosphere, no other country has a, a ban on people limiting leaving the country. Um, plenty of places have restrictions on coming in, and for good reason, and I frankly always supported that. I think that we do need some sort of international border closures to prevent the virus from coming in from overseas. But the UK only issues advice. It doesn't ban people leaving. Canada doesn't ban people leaving. The US doesn't ban people leaving. New Zealand doesn't, as you said. The only countries that do are countries like Djibouti, the Ivory Coast and Namibia. Um, now, those are countries with porous land borders, with very ill-equipped hospital systems or much relatively ill-equipped hospital systems. And, and even for them, frankly, there's no excuse to prevent people from leaving the country. That's what East Germany did. That's what North Korea still does. Um, Australia has no excuse to be on a list with, with these countries. Um, and as you said, it's completely without mirror almost any, in, in almost any free country in the world. Gideon, all right. So let's just, if we could just tell the listeners where they can listen to your podcast and where they can find it. And in addition to that, I wanted to ask, did you need any advice from us, experienced podcasters, uh, on your budding fledgling podcast career, because you know it is it is harder than it looks. Oh look, it's it's harder than it looks. I tell you what, it's um I I, I tell you what, guys, I watch every episode without fail. I get it, I have a new souped up Samsung TV these days, so I get it up on the YouTube 
uh, every episode. And uh, I learned by osmosis. You couldn't find two better podcasters anywhere going. And I trust the uh, the checks in the mail. Uh, on That's where, where we get him on. Uh, on where to find it, uh, it's on. Uh, look for the, the IPA with you on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and on YouTube if you want to watch the full eps. Uh, but we're also uh, pushing out a lot of individual clips and individual segments. Um, so I'm putting them out on my personal Facebook page and my, as in my page, not my Facebook account I've had since I was, you know, 20 or something. I've got a, a, new, a new page like every other talking head. And uh, on my Twitter account as well. So I look for the full Rosner on Facebook or Giddy, at Gideon C. Rosner on Twitter, and you can see some of it there. Um, but yeah, look, I'm, I'm still learning, guys, and any tips and uh, tricks would be much appreciated. No, you're way ahead of us. And uh, I should point out, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, you can also listen to the IPA with you. So it's all over the place. Now, the other thing I want to talk to you about, so we're recording this on Monday afternoon. This morning, Daniel Andrews got up in his press conference and said that he was looking to extend the state of emergency for another year. And even past that, if we don't have a virus by then, uh, extraordinary move from our perspective. I think we've already covered our pints on this show. So what was your reaction to this? Well, first, I'm not sure how much you've gone into how the mechanics of this actually works, because it's a bit confusing. Even I've had difficulty getting my head around the state of emergency, the state of disaster, which trumps the other. Do they work together? Basically, the story is this. Um, from the beginning, the lockdown measures have mostly been made under emergency powers, which allow the chief health officer to restrict movement and to do anything else reasonably necessary to give effect to those restrictions of movement. So that's where you stay home, don't go out, blah, 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 comes from. The problem for Daniel Andrews is that under the Act that lets the Chief Health Officer do this, there is a hard six-month limit. You can't go longer than six months. That six months expires on the 16th of September. So under the law, Daniel Andrews can't let the state of emergency go on longer than it has. So what's his solution? Change the law. To do that, he'll need to go back to Parliament and ask them to amend the law. Uh, so there is a chance this could be stopped. The government has the numbers in the lower house, so it'll pass there. But in the upper house, uh, they don't control the chamber. So the Liberal Party has already ruled out, I think, supporting it, or at least supporting it indefinitely. The Liberal, Liberal Democrats, being the patriots that they are, have ruled out any kind of change, I believe. Yeah, shout out uh, David Limbrick, friend of the show, who did yep. it within seconds of the announcement. Correct. Just saying, this is no way getting supported by me. Correct. They, they, are, they are consistent and they always stand up for freedom. So I do admire the Lib Dems very, very much. Darren Hinch has said that his two MPs in the upper house will um, support it. Unbelievably, so much for the Justice Party. There doesn't seem to be any justice involved in, you know, effectively a dictatorship. Um, and then it's up to, let's see, there's, it's up to the Animal Justice Party. It's up to the Transport Matters Party. The it's up Reason to the party, Sustainable Australia Party. And it's up to Fiona Patton's Reason Party, formerly the Sex Party. And also um, uh, Adam Somirek is sitting as an independent as well. So he may go from... Villain to hero if he if he blocks this uh, using his free vote as an independent in the he's upper a, house. He's a notorious advocate of due process, that bloke, so I'm <laughs> sure he'll be definitely against it. Look, look, you know, I mean, yeah, we, we need all the votes we can uh, in this yeah. and, uh, you know... Let's the, go the milk and honey route on Samurai for this one, all right? Let's bring him over his, to the side without making fun of This is his chance at redemption. He can save democracy. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? I didn't have that on my bingo card. Uh, All right, brilliant. So get in touch at ipa.org.au because we want to hear your stories. The IPA with you, it's available wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. It's also on YouTube and Facebook. And Gideon's doing a really awesome job. And shout out to Mitch, who's producing this, who's also doing a really great job putting it all together. Mitch is a dynamo. Uh, Yeah, watching him in an editing booth is like what I imagine it was watching Mozart do his thing. It It, is out of control. It's so it's like he's so smooth but so light and quick. It's like watching a spider spin its web. I'm fascinated. I sit there every day after the taping just watching. Anyway, he's probably uh, blushing or wish we shut up. So uh, yeah, and I know Saul's probably people in the back back room. Yes, Saul, you're also uh, absolutely incredible. All right, uh, Gideon, thank you so much uh, for your time. Cheers, fellas. Okay, thank you to Target Tory and to Gideon. Let's fly through some stories and have made us laugh this week because this is uh, running pretty long. So let's do it. Pete, uh, there was a prank and it was a good one on Kamala Harris. There was a prank on Kamala, Kamala Harris, I should say. Vladimir Kutsinov and Alexei Stolyarov, known as Vovin and Lexis, are two Russian pranksters. They called Kamala Harris in January of this year to speak to her on the phone. Pretending to be Greta Thunberg, they released the audio this week 
Uh, some quotes. Hello, Greta. Congratulations. Oh, this is from Kamala. Hello, Greta. Congratulations on all of your leadership. I'm so inspired by your courage and your voice. Uh, Greta, who wasn't, of course, not Greta, told uh, Harris that she had nightmares about meeting Trump at the UN last September. <laughs> uh, she said they have a secret recording of Trump whispering to Thunberg, you will never achieve the goal. The pranksters then move up, uh, then offered the audio uh, to Trump to Harris of uh, Trump whispering these words. Now, Mia, our re- one of our researchers here at the IPA, was really upset about this. She wrote, this prank has been pulled an exhausting number of times, so to all high-profile figures, as much as you want to be, as much as you want her to be, Greta Thunberg is not calling you. Uh, just to give you a bit of background on these guys, they have been, uh, they have prank called, apparently, Prince Harry, Bernie Sanders, Elton John, Turkish President Erdogan, Joaquin Phoenix, Monica Lewinsky, Billie Eilish, and Boris Johnson. Uh, James. Uh, if you read the transcript, Kamala Harris is desperate to get Greta Thunberg off air. She tries to wrap up the conversation like four or five times. So maybe she was either one suspecting that it was a prank or two. Kamala Harris just has absolutely no time for young people, which just means the Democrats are going to do it again. What do they do what again? They're going to lose the election again. Oh, yeah, fair enough. So these guys have been accused of working for the Russian Secret Service. Uh, it doesn't seem like they work for the Russian Secret Service, but they do seem to be useful idiots for the Russian regime. Um, so it might just be a little bit more sinister, sinister than a prank. Um, but I did <laughs> Thank say, you for submitting it for stories that made us laugh this week, Pete. <laughs> it's still funny. I just think when they, when they embarrass someone from the West, they get heaps of time on Russian TV. And people always go to them, you know, if you don't work for the Russian Secret Service, why don't you prank um, old mate, Putin? Anyway. Because you'll get shot. Because uh, you'll get shot. If they have pranked... Uh, members of the Russian regime so I do think they are just useful idiots uh, and they have pointed out which I find interesting that it's easier to get in touch with pop stars sorry harder to get in touch with pop stars than politicians so the beauty of the private go. sector uh, alright so moving on sorry earlier in the show we talked about some of the more heartbreaking stories of what border closures are doing to people this is one of the stupider ones so Victorian sheep producer Shirley Sprenger was told on Sunday that uh, she wanted to take her Victorian sheep to New South Wales to Al Yard but couldn't get around the border closures. So what she was told to do was to put her sheep on a plane to get them to the New South Wales yard. So for those counting at home, people that are allowed to fly, sorry, things that are allowed to fly from Victoria to New South Wales. People, no. Sheep, yes. Would you like the chicken or the beef, sir? Meh. <laughs> uh, End the show. End the show on that. There's no... End, 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 end the career, podcast maybe? on that. Uh, yeah, no, look, and we should point out, we understand this is, you know, destroying people's lives and stuff like that, but it's just the image. And also there was a fellow who, I can't find his name now, but they said to move your bales of hay from Victoria up into Queensland and move stuff like headers and harvesters and all this stuff. Um, yeah, sheep. Apparently sheep do get transported by plane in certain circumstances to places like the Middle East, but certainly not interstate. I didn't know that. Did you know that? I did not, but it's just mainly the point that I have less civil liberties than a sheep. <laughs> That's really got you. Imagine the sheep gets too drunk and gets kicked off the flight. I got punked by a sheep. <laughs> That's what I've been done. Anyway, that oh. was mine this week. All right, let's move on to the Democratic National Convention, Pete. Well, the Democratic National Convention wrapped up a few days ago. Obviously, it was all socially distanced and all online and stuff like that. Uh, whilst Kamala... I always say her name wrong. Kamala Harris... That's a uh, that's a police car going past my house. Probably heard the broadcast. Um, heard the bar joke. <laughs> They're shutting you down as they should. That's a promo. I called them. That's a promo. Uh, what happened? So she gave her speech at the DNC. Fair enough. Uh, only 30 people on the Zoom, which you'll notice, James, isn't that many? There's about 330 million people. No, 360 million people in America. Only 30 people on the Zoom. They've got a maximum of 100. And if I think that's on the free version. So if you've got enough money like the DNC might have to afford the updated version, you can actually have more than 100 people. Only 30 people on the Zoom and the keen eye uh, viewer noticed that there was actually only 27 people on the Zoom, but to fill out the screen, they duplicated three of the people. So it's a bit like at the footy where when they show the fans watching on their couch and one team's getting pumped and they finally get a goal, and then they realised that two or three of the people have left and given up watching because the team's getting pumped. It was a bit like that. I don't know what they were thinking. Did they think people wouldn't notice? Did they think they couldn't just put 27 screens up? Do you have a, do you have a call on that? 
Yeah, you've got to have a few people in reserve in case someone does drop out. You don't need to duplicate. But I don't think we can throw too many stones here, Pete. I've never had 30 people applaud any of my opinions, so I can't really throw too many stones at Kamala Harris. I can't really say it's an easy one to do. Yeah, but, you know, she does want to be Vice President of the United States. I just reckon... I wouldn't mind that either. So I think we are still on level 40 ground. She's closer to the Vice Presidency than I am, but it seems a pretty cushy gig. She's yeah yeah oh, you'd be a good vice president but the thing we got to re- we got to unpack here James is how did this happen okay did they get like five minutes before the start they were like oh my god there's only there's only twenty seven people here did I they... no well like it's they had thirty people on the call and some internet connections would have dropped out so they would have like flicked it around like I don't want to you know <laughs> show you that Sanders <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to disprove big theories to you, but uh, it's it's not the conspiracy theory that you want, but it is cringeworthy. I, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I just, I would love to just talk through, I reckon some, you know, intern has absolutely panicked and just gone bang, 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 and then thought none of the Trump, Trump campaign would notice. Um, but yeah, there you go. 27, not 30 people watched that speech. All right. Uh, last one we got here. So the Groundy ad, which is a Twitter account and a Facebook page and like kind of all this other stuff, which is just a parody of The Guardian, is now getting sued by The Guardian for copyright Ooh. infringement, which is, I mean, The Guardian using copyright infringement to fight their battles. Viva la revolution. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is very... What the uh, most yeah, corporate like approach to, to, uh, to disagreement I've ever heard in my life. So that's pretty funny. Uh, and let's. I wanted to break down, last segment of the show, I wanted to break down just how good a parody the Groundy ad is, just to see if the Guardian does have a case to answer for. So I've assembled a few headlines here, some Guardian, some Groundy ad. And Pete, I'm going to put you to the test on which ones are real, which ones are fake. So this Groundy ad people, they do fake Guardian headlines. just. For yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you'll see. Uh, okay, number one, robots are racist and sexist, just like the people who created them. Am I saying, do I say at the start, do I say now? Real or fake? Real, absolutely real. That's real. All right, well done, Pete. Uh, why do white people think that wearing a black mask in coronavirus is anything but blackface? <laughs> real. Fake. Oh. Could, if the Guardian hasn't written that, they should have. They don't, they're, <laughs> they're going slack. All right, uh, and uh, tiebreaker, can Pete figure, like this should actually be uh, submitted as legal evidence in their case if Peter Gregory yeah. can't win the tiebreaker. So tiebreaker for Peter Gregory to win the challenge. The tears of joy emoji is the worst of all. It's used to gloat about human suffering. <laughs> That's fake. It's real. No, it's fake. <laughs> no, it's real. No, it's real. It's real. It was not the first time. Come on, mate. Yeah. In fact, really? we did this. We've done this thing before, and you got it wrong then as well. And I know it speaks to your heart because you love the tears emoji. It's tears of joy. How does that? How does that trivialise human suffering? Like it's saying, "I'm so happy, I'm crying." I actually think it's more <laughs> laughing. But yeah. Yeah, you you tend to use it in a way of like laughing at someone. I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> laughing at someone. Oh yeah. <laughs> laughing with someone, James. I laugh with people. <laughs> I'll take this offline. <laughs> no, because like occasionally I'll do like my high and mighty, like nah, this is the way things should be. Pound my fist on the table, and you just send me like, yeah, yeah whatever, mate. Crying face emoji, and I'm like, oh, maybe he's right. <laughs> I didn't realize. I didn't realize that I was undermining you so much. I'm sorry. This is. Uh, this is well, it's good that we're having this out though. It's good that we're talking. Yeah, about it's group therapy. Our relationship. That is it for the show this week. Thank you to Targetory. Thank you to Gideon Rosner. Go download the IPA with you. It's a really, really great product and we're so proud of it. New episode out today. Uh, so if you're listening to it, there's one coming out. Uh, you know, Join the pause, be kind movement. Just be nicer to each other on social media for Targetory. That's great. Rest of the podcast we've got here, obviously Looking Forward comes out every week. Vile Banter comes out every fortnight. We've also got The Heretic, Five Favorite Books, Australia's Future with Don Roskam and Tony Abbott and way back in the vault we've got the great books of literature that's all available exactly where you're listening to this podcast right now uh, cool good show see you guys next week see you guys I did realise we've stopped saying thank you to Saul so I'm going to say thank you Saul thank you Saul